When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast slash draft check-in. It's been nebulous, okay? We can't really tell what any episode is going to be lately. Trey and I have been talking about prospects. I've been talking about a coaching search that is seven weeks long and reportedly may go to the 22nd of June. Yeah, they still don't have, yeah, they still don't have a coach, do they? That's... No, uh, no coach. There's a few names that have been floated around. Some people are certain it's this guy. Some people are certain it's this guy. Most camps are either certain on Kenny or certain on Scariolo from what I'm hearing. I like Jordy Fernandez, but apparently that's uh, that's not happening anymore either. Regardless, we're here to talk basketball and the draft with Ben Pfeiffer, who many of you are familiar with. He's talked to me about basketball in general, Pascal, Scotty, uh, their unique uh, paths of development, and of course, about draft prospects over the past couple of years. He's one of my favorite people to talk draft with. Uh, he has great videos doing awesome revisionist scouts going back of, of older players and then giving you kind of like these great insights about current players. Ben Pfeiffer, a lot of preamble, but hey, it's you. How are you feeling? Hi, Samson. You're also one of my favorite people. So that's, hey. that's crazy. Um, I have it on good authority that the Raptors have been nearing a coaching hire with Blake Murphy, but um, <laughs> I don't, I, that's off the record. We can't say that, but right. I have it on good yep. authority. The players are going to reject his analytics-based movement. They they had the NOAA board last year, and it screwed up all their shooting percentages, apparently. So they're moving towards a more holistic approach to basketball. Something they're going to be like, we just need you to tell us that we're trash and, and, and let us go hoop. It's like, all right, I can do that. <laughs> abuse, uh, you know, like uh, parental abuse in Canada works to create great basketball players. If you heard what Jamal Murray has been. Now, Jamal Murray has been talking about this stuff for quite a while, but it obviously is getting more attention in the finals. The Raptors need a, a stern, pre-enlightenment, Old Testament, uh, mean <laughs> father of a god of a <laughs> head coach. Nick Smith Jr. He is. It's a great I'm give the rundown. Yes. Nick Smith Jr., Arkansas, freshman, 6'5", is what I saw him listed at. I saw a 6'9", wingspan listed. Now, wingspans, you never really know until they have them listed by somebody official, I guess. 12.5 points, 1.6 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 37.6 from the field, 34% from three, 74% from the free throw line, and 47% true shooting. Raptors fans may recognize that last statistic as something akin to a start of a precious Achua season. You like you like Nick though, so give me the lowdown. Give me the sell. Damn, I I didn't expect the coming for the neck early on this one. Yeah, I do really like Nick Smith. 
Um, I had something else I wanted to say when you were doing that, but I don't remember what it was. So we'll table that for now. Um, yeah, I think Nick Smith is, is one of these guys where like the college context, you got to put that into perspective. Um, well, one, like lower body injuries are extremely tough for young players at this age. Um, zapping crucial development time with their full athletic powers. And Nick definitely did not look healthy for a lot of the year, but he still decided to play through it for, you know, whatever reasons he chose to, which is, I guess, good on him if he was willing to do that. But even with the efficiency being as paltry as it was, I still am not particularly, like, worried about about Nick. I mean, in high school, he was, like, an extremely fast, quick like on ball creator who like had still had the same kind of struggles with his handle at times, which has improved, I think since, since high school as well. Um, with really impressive shot making his, his touch and like off ball play are the two like main, like offensive features of his game. He's like one of these like maxi hero, like Trey types where like any shot he takes from like 10 foot at any angle, no matter how, like, how fast he's traveling, he's just going to go in. Um, or like it has a better chance of going in than, than most guys. And I think maybe more than anyone in this draft, a lot of his inefficiencies and struggles on both ends can be explained by just how frail he is and how lacking in functional strength that he is, which isn't super uncommon for young players. But it was particular, particularly noticeable with Nick, I think especially on offense. Um, and I think mostly just how uncomfortable he is, like operating within like within like seven feet and in like obviously amazing in that floater range like incredible <laughs> mid-range floater touch but was just like so afraid and incapable of getting closer to the rim and Can you know obviously struggled as a finish so yes Samson. If, if it is if it is that frail aspect of it we've seen guys find success while remaining frail we've seen some guys bulk up is it the jumper that needs to get guys a little bit further out so he can play in space is it that you expect him to kind of pack on a few more LBs, what is the route to success you're expecting? So I think the main way that strength is going to help him, at least offensively, is just like being more sturdy on his drives because that's like such a limiting factor at the moment. I think his jumper is going to be fine. Took a lot of threes, like the touch is great. Takes a lot of really difficult shots, both in and outside of the arc, and that probably will, wherever he goes next, is you know his his usage and his shot diet and stuff is not going to be as high as it was at Arkansas because he did have like a pretty high offensive load when he did play just because especially because that team had like no spacing and nobody who could score aside from like Ricky Council when he was feeling it he was asked to do a lot and there are plays where because he's not like the quickest guy in the world but he has pretty good burst like pretty good acceleration and like his top speed's really good but he just gets bumped off of his spot so easily and it doesn't seem like he trusts the like the advantages he creates um, because he'll have a lane to the rim or something, or he'll you know get a guy with his handle or his burst, and then he'll just like settle for a tough floater. And I think I mean it's easy to imagine like because you do see him just get bumped off spots so easily. So I think the strength there is going to help him get all the way to the rim, help him be more patient and hold his handle longer on drives. Um, and I think that's a really big indi- that'll be a big determiner of his upside and how good he ends up being. Because I think as just a pure like off ball scorer, off ball player. He's going to be fantastic. Um, he's just such a relentless off-ball mover with his great motor, great feel for cutting and spacing and relocating and getting to his spots. And then he's a really impressive passer as well when he gets to those off-ball 
situations. He's really good at finding teammates second cutting behind him or kicking out or stuff like that. Um, again, like he's not the most refined passer in the world on the ball, um, off the ball, as it is with a lot of these like kind of more combo off guards in this draft. There's a lot to like there. There'll be this will be the third year in a row that I ask you about ask this to you about a prospect, but cat and mouse game. Seeing uh, you know, defenders zoning up areas as a passer, is he able to beat that? Does he fall prey to that? Or is he really good at reading the back end of the defense while continuing an advantage? He's really, I think he's really, really good at reading that second level on the move, which is interesting because it's like more on the move without the ball than with the ball. Um, the the on the on ball passing is like more basic. I think he's limited by just like technique stuff. For a lot of his passes are like are like too high or too low, or like velocities off, which 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 you think is generally kind of fixable because the vision seems to be there. But I think it's just diff like the fact that he's so mobile and he's always moving and he's always like you know, pulling defenders with his cuts and with his spacing because you do have to, like, close out to him and such. Like, you can't just ignore him. That he kind of makes those back lines, like, moving and, like, scrambling. And then he's really good at taking advantage there and just, like, hitting cutters especially is, is he's really great at. He played with another great cutter in Anthony Black at Arkansas, and they did excellent work just, like, moving off of each other. So. And so let's do the Raptors context then. The Raptors are a team that, you know, the, the obvious things that they're missing right now is shooting, is ball handling, and I would say the requisite amount of initiation at the point of attack on offense. That's the stuff that they're missing. How does Nick Smith fit into that? Somewhat. I mean, you're not, you're likely not finding that at where, where they're 13. picking, yeah, yeah. sadly. Um, or, you know, if you do, you're getting lucky probably. But I think Nick can definitely remedy some of that. I mean, aside from his off-ball game, like, the tough shot making has always been great. Um, like, he was able to initiate in high school. He's always been able to, like, handle some kind of, like, offensive load, even if it's not, like, a primary initiator spot. Like, secondary pick and roll, secondary actions is where Nick has always thrived, and I think it's somewhere that he could definitely thrive as he continues to get healthy and stronger and accustomed to the NBA game because of his really amazing touch and quickness and Again, I think the handle is still a little bit stiff and like robotic at times, but it has improved a lot over the last couple of years. So I think there is a way for him to fit in as not someone who's like, you know, running your offense or like, you know, having a like primary place run for them. But that's fine. Like that's not who he is. And, you know, you're 6'5 guard who you're drafting at 14. You're like, if they if they hit that, then you're then you're then you're over the moon. But um like the, the secondary actions, like off screens, off of pick and rolls and stuff, I think he can. I think he can absolutely add a lot of value there. So we think that the shooting at the NBA level will be requisite to be a guy who draws defenses, has gravity, and all that. But sure. to make that jump from a guy who, you know, a lot of players, when you're looking at them, like let's say a Sensibo, who I know you and I are higher on than a decent amount of people. I think if I'm, I don't. I Are feel you? like I'm like I don't know. I I feel like I'm like kind of like in the middle on him. I mean, I sure. like I like Sensibo, but like Yeah, I don't okay. Know. Well, so I I like Sensibo, but part of the difficulty of scouting and especially somebody like myself who's just kind of wading into it late. You've seen these guys in high school up to now, right? Um and you have a better sense of the competition level seeing a guy like Nick Smith Jr. who underwhelms with his 
like the stat line and the efficiency and then trying to project how he'll impact at the next level versus seeing a guy like Sensibo who is just like massive volume scorer and does it on decent efficiency at the college level and trying to make sense of like, why will this guy succeed versus not? And so I'm wondering what makes you think that Nick Smith Jr. will be able to kind of get over some of those efficiency woes at the college level and make it work at the NBA level? Is it like the extra space afforded to him? Yeah, I think, well, I, I think Bryce is like a particularly unique case. Um, sure. Because he seems to potentially be like a special tough shot maker, which is going to be like advantageous in like the, you know, less spaced in such college game, whatever. But I think there are like reasons to believe that within like a better context. And again, I think injury you have to take into account um, again, that Bryce was like the main scorer on like a better space team and was like built for tough shot making where Nick has always been a better guy, like playing off of other high level players and, um, you know, working off the ball and against like, you know, pull defenses um, and things. And it's not like, it's just like not unheard of for players to be super inefficient like this and to be impactful in the league, like freshman Jaden Ivey, Buddy Heald, KCP, um, I'm looking at right now, like Chris Middleton, DeJounte Murray, Kyle Anderson, like all these guys had sub 50 true shooting at some point in their careers. And a lot of them weren't even freshmen. Um, you so pulled I that did. up super quick. That was great. I did. Yeah. But yeah, I, did, I didn't want to make it too much of a, a sense of both things. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I, or, no, I think it's a useful, I think it's a useful, a useful comparison point for sure. Sure. Um, defensively. <laughs> This is actually, I think people are perfectly willing to accept that people who are small and frail can succeed on offense at the NBA level. Defense is the the tougher part for a lot of people. And that relates to, I think, maybe that Nick Smith is a guy who could really only defend one position and that he might have trouble doing it. What are your thoughts about the defense, where it's been at Arkansas and what it might end up being at the NBA level? I really liked his defense at Arkansas and at every level, basically. Um, he's always been a good defender, like really good on and off the ball. Like just having that level of like motor and feel and agility. I think it's again a thing where like the strength is going to be such a like determining factor in, in terms of like how important strength is. I see like a lot of similarities between him and like Isaiah Joe, not like as prospects or like they're very different players, but like in the way that strength development was like so crucial for getting on the floor and Isaiah Joe has done that a little bit and then like found a role um I like it'll you know he's 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 a very different player than Nick but like where I think I think Nick is particularly a really solid on-ball defender largely because of his lateral quickness and his agility he's really great like chasing around on and off ball screens staying attached um I think you you mentioned like the wingspan who knows about like measurements but I think it does like appear to be long on tape and he uses it well to kind of play in passing lanes and to bother ball handlers. Rear view contest, does he use both hands? I believe so, yeah. That's a unique thing I, I've decided to look for. I don't know. I why. don't know. I, I mean I can't give you I, I think so. I mean I don't I could be wrong. That's not not a question I that that, that question was not on the study guide, but that's okay. Um but yeah. I mean, he is good at like the like the whole like lock and trail thing, both like on and off the ball, because he's like has the foot quickness and like the agility, and that's part of where being like 
leaner and frailer gives him advantage where he can like get skinnier on screens really easily. And that's always like the balance. Like how do you bolt guys up without harming the mobility aspect? Cause that is really impressive at this point where, mm. and, the, and then like off the ball, he's like pretty solid um, where there's like the typical like freshman mistakes and such where Nick will just like get lost off the ball and doesn't really know what he's doing at times, but his playmaking instinct has always been solid. Um, he's always had like kind of a nose for the ball off of the ball because of his like general feel and like the length and the positioning. I could definitely see him as he continues to, you know, get stronger, not get bumped off so easily, um, becoming a decent, like a decent off ball defender as well. So that's part of why I'm as high on Nick as I am. If I didn't think he could be a good defender, I probably would be kind of out on him just as like a non-primary, like small combo or thin combo. But I really do like his defensive toolkit. I think he's been a good defender at basically every level um, on the tape. I think that's pretty clear, um, especially playing with like other good defenders at Arkansas. We saw how beneficial that was for him with like added strength and continuing to, to develop in the NBA. He could be a really like a really quite good defender um, from like that guard spot. Someone who can guard like probably like he, he's going to be best guarding down always just because of his size and his quickness. But, you know, with the length and against less dynamic, like two and a half, three type players can potentially guard those as well as being just a really good screen chaser, which is so important in today's NBA, like being able to get through dribble handoffs and and ball screens and stuff like that. Also, like one of the youngest players in the draft, too, who has like had injury stuff, like just like a lot to a lot to like. Yeah, that's um, that's good to hear because I haven't heard that much positive stuff about Nick Smith's defense. So very cool. Right. And, and like, I feel like most of the, like, the stuff you see about, I mean, I, I feel like defense is, like, not, evalu- like, just, like, consensus or mainstream or whatever in general. Like, is not, like, evaluated with the level of nuance that offense is. I think, like, obviously, I don't think that's a hot take or anything. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, I think, like, the fact that he has this, like, r- really big weakness on both offense and defense, but like remedying that could could unlock so much anything on nick smith before we talk about jet Mm, no i think that's it i i'm a fan i think he would be a good pick where they're at cool so jet howard let me give the listeners the lowdown jet howard Michigan, uh, teammate of Kobe Bufkin, who we've talked about. Also, Nick Smith Jr., as you mentioned, a teammate of Anthony Black, who we talked about. But Jed Howard, Michigan, freshman, listed at six foot eight, could not find a wingspan. Uh, 14.8 points per game, 2.8 rebounds, two assists, 41% from the field, 37% from three, 80% from the free throw line, and 56% true shooting. Ben Pfeiffer, what do you like about Jed Howard? Man, he's he is a really, really high level offensive prospect, especially um, six, eight wings who are incredible shooters are always highly valued by the NBA and usually for good reason. But Jet is more than just a shooter. Um, obviously, the shooting is like the main cornerstone of his game. Just ridiculous, like shot making volume, efficiency, both inside and outside the arc on mid range pull ups, mid range movement shots, deep movement threes going left, going right, going forwards, going backwards, pulling up as well um, to to work through that. Again, like the, sh- the shooting is fantastic. I don't think that's really much of a question, but what what else he brings on offense, I think is what makes him such a good and like lottery level prospect. Because if he was just a shooter, he probably wouldn't be that. 
where Jet has really interesting physical tools. I think people like rightly bring up like the physicality and the strength stuff. Again, I think it's like pretty common for that to be a limiting factor for for young players. And Jet has some really interesting tools in that he's quite fast. Like when he is downhill and unimpeded by you know any bodies or handling limitations, he can beat guys one on one. Like he can like get skinny and split pick and rolls, which is really impressive for a guy at his size. And his like flexibility too, being able to like lower his torso to get through spaces and to get leverage on defenders is really important and key for someone who's not so strong and not like elite burst or anything and not an elite handle. I think the handle is functional. I think it kind of abandons him occasionally on drives and stuff when he is like pressured and stuff. But when he's just like operating, kind of working in basic pick and roll action, just like running offense, the handle works. It, he like it's functional. He's able to create for his like mid range jumpers, and as he continues to add strength and to work on his just like ball control and such, he's going to be able to use his great physical tools to to get closer to the rim and to get better shots. And then that strength again is just going to be like how much can he get to the rim and how much can he be a, like like a finisher. But one, I don't know how much that like super matters for his role just because like if he's someone who kind of like nick is just going to be probably someone who you're having off ball running off a lot of screens ideally um one he's really good like curling to the rim already um a very good passer out of those actions as well someone who can hit the roll man off of that curl who can kick out who can like reset to a weak side shooter just like a very complete offensive toolkit um, for Jet, which I think as like a six foot eight freshman aged wing is always impressive and for me is definitely undervalued. And I think a lot of the like the problems with Jet like are very fixable in terms of his like, you know, developing his strength, which like is better than Nick, you know, relatively. I guess Nick is just really weak, but and like not like so far behind. His handle, I think most of the issues are just kind of ball control related, not like decision making or athletic tools, just, you know, holding onto the ball when he's able to like, you know, do his moves and such. Like he's a good, again, good decision maker as well. Just like a very complete offensive player who he could have struggles at the rim, especially early in his career. But I don't think those are like damning and are going to be terrible as well. That's like the main sell for him. Defensively, there are definitely issues. But uh, like unlike Nick, when you're like legit 6'8", 6'8", plus, um, that becomes a lot less horrible to, to kind of stomach. We see a lot of guys who are like 6'8 at the NBA level. As long as they're in a decent defensive system, they can just kind of exist in there. Right. As long I feel as you... like the Raptors are probably a team I trust to to do that at this point. Well, I guess it depends on what Maybe. the team... It depends on what the team looks like. It depends if... The right, team... I mean, I guess it's hard to know at this point, but like historically they're... at least. Yeah, I'm... If it, if it was a similar if, – if they run it back for the most part and let's say Gary Trent Jr. leaves, they are a very – like a really strong defensive team, like probably top five next year. Um, I don't know how likely that is. but And I don't know who the coach is going to be, so we don't know about defensive principles yet. But, yeah, six eight guys are a lot easier to make work. Right. Uh, the handle – Definitely, as you mentioned, like having a – like a great defensive team and like the Raptors being a team who needs that like dynamic offensive presence. It's like you can afford that. So the fit with the Raptors, you like it on both sides? Yeah, I think so. Offensively and defensively. Like 
defensively, he's, I think, like, he's honestly also probably overhated in terms of, like, the physicality is definitely, like, the the main issue, again, um, where, like, the strength is, is, is a limiting factor, too, and he makes pretty typical, like, freshman mistakes. But I do think the defense improved for sure as this season went on. Um, he got accustomed to the college game as it happens a lot of the times, like where college freshmen will like be really bad to start the season on defense and get a lot better as well. Well, I think that was certainly the case with Jet, where again, his like flexibility and like mobility at six eight, like the movement skills I think bring way for defensive upside for sure, as somebody who could potentially become a good like a rare like six eight taller guy who's better guarding down good at guarding screens good at guarding like smaller wings and combos off of those pick and roll actions and you know off screen actions which is a really impressive and valuable trait even if he's going to lack in other ways um i think he had like pretty good block numbers this year as well and just being like tall and in the right place um so yeah like i don't think jet is ever going to be like a great defender or like a high level defender but when you have someone with his offensive skill set it's just like get to neutral get to someone who's not actively taking away from your team on defense and if that's the case i think jet's gonna end up being a quite good player because the offensive ceiling is really high so you've talked about case and wallace is like wow the defense at the nail can be like tremendous you know at the college level going into the future I love nail defense and it's continues to loom larger and larger as like the, you know, an inflection point for defensive possessions. How is jet there with a little bit of length? I think he's pretty solid. Nothing special. Um, he doesn't really get a lot of steals and he's not really one to like dig very often or like, he's just not a natural like playmaker defensively. Um, I think he's like, especially again, as the season went on, like the activity and the, the awareness just improved. Um, so I think with Jet, especially like from, from like a nail perspective, unlike Kaysen for sure, and honestly, like less so than someone like Nick, um, is someone who's just going to kind of be sound and not really like making plays or disrupting there, but it's just more kind of existing and not hopefully not getting like back cut and stuff like that. Do you know anybody who views Jet as a possible primary into the future? I don't, I'm, I'm unaware of anyone who views him like that. I also like, I feel like I'm pretty like, like, like I don't have a ton of perspective on like what other people think. Like I'm pretty like checked out of like discourse. Right. As I have been in the past. Like, I don't know for sure. I mean, I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility. Um, I certainly wouldn't bet on it, but I do think that's within his hundredth percentile outcomes just because of like, if he gets to a place where like the pull-up shooting ends up being really elite, that kind of gets you there basically Mm -hmm. and then i think he has the handling tools and the decision making in the passing to become a guy who has that like primary level usage if he's an elite pull-up shooter which again is like a hard thing to predict even for like college players and prospects with very high level shooting projections just because the sample is you know generally small and jet like like wasn't this like elite of a shooter uh, at least projection wise in high school like he was a good shooter in high school for sure but he like improved a lot his, his year at michigan so Who's to say like how high level the shooting is going to be? I, I think that's going to be important as it is for basically every young shooter. But that's the the Cade Cunningham corollary right now. I think is like pull up shooting is really hard, even if it looks tremendous. You never know how it might work out. Anything on Jet 
before we talk about Keontae? I think we covered it. Um, very good prospect. Seems like he's gonna fall to like I've seen him with mocks like having like like the twenties, which I think is crazy. Um, well, this, this also is actually this is a good opportunity to ask you: Is this a very like from the outside looking in, seeing how this draft is being viewed, scouted, observed? It seems like it's like there's three or four, and then there's like. The re- filling out to 12 and then there's just a lot of stuff like at the back end of the lottery to 25 it just seems like guys fall guys rise there's a lot of that always disparity. yeah yeah this that's my ignorance definitely showing through <laughs> oh no <laughs> it just feels like the like you know i, I had to think about like with maxi and past drafts and like even like springer who is going to be good but um like in the past like Players always fall like AJ, even like AJ Griffin last year, like Jalen mm. Johnson, Wings, Derek Whitehead, who I think we're gonna talk about later, right? Yeah. Is gonna do that again, um, almost certainly. We I feel need like to have a, always. We need to have a Springer mm-hmm. conversation, not this podcast, but at some point, that little nugget I like a lot. Based on like the mocks that I've seen, there's gonna be like really good value in that like twenty range, as there tends to be. Um, I think I. I've, I I really think this draft is very strong. I think there's like more than 14 lottery worthy talents based on like the average amount of guys who are that good in a draft and end up being that good. So just based on that, like even in like if every team picks right, there's going to be guys that fall. Would you, uh, you trade for a second first round pick if you were a team then? Like you'd want to have two shots in this draft? I mean it. It always depends on like how the board shakes up. Um, like I'd, I'd want to see what happens on draft night, but I think this is absolutely like a draft to consolidate if that's what a team is looking to do. I think it's funny that like I feel like I think of like OKC as a team is like when are they gonna like when are they when are they gonna consolidate and then they trade trade out of the second round again and get more get more future picks. So maybe they're just never gonna consolidate. But yeah. Orlando at yeah. seven and eleven, Brooklyn at twenty one and twenty two is probably pretty interesting. But okay, right. Keontae George, Baylor, freshman, 6'4", did not find a wingspan. I'm saying wingspans because somebody asked me to list wingspans. It, I didn't find it. 15.3 All these guys like didn't, didn't measure at the combine, so it's like yeah. you're honestly probably never going to get an official measurement. Like You just got to eye spy it. Like This guy looks like he has long arms. Maybe that's the case for him. Anyway, Keontae George. Baylor, find like a, freshman. Like a, USA, like a USA basketball measurement from somewhere, but that's probably the best you're going to get at this point. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Keontae George, Baylor, freshman, 6'4", 15.3 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 37.6 is his field goal percentage, 34% from three, 79% from the line, 52% true shooting. Ben Pfeiffer. What are your thoughts on Keontae George out of Baylor? Just another one of these really dynamic, like off-ball, offensive combo guards, which there just seem to be so many in, in this draft, which isn't like, honestly, it's like a not a bad situation for a team like Toronto, where it seems like that's kind of a like an archetype of need at this point to someone who can really create buckets in whatever way they do it. And Keontae is certainly that guy. Another guy in contention for best shooter in the class. This is a, like a ridiculous shooting class. 
Um, I think Jets also in the conversation was obviously like Grady Dick, Brandon Miller, Jordan Hawkins, like other guys like that. But I think Keontae is firmly in that mix. Um, didn't have the like raw three point efficiency, but that's not a super powerful indicator. But the what he does have like shot a ton of really difficult threes um, of all kinds. I think he was a bit miscast at Baylor as a primary creator. Like he had about 30 usage for them. Um, didn't get much help as from like screens or his teammates. A lot of just like stagnant creation, which is not his strength. The main kind of weaknesses of his game on offensively are just his ability to create consistent advantages on the ball and to make good decisions with the ball when he has that. But when he is off the ball, a lot of those concerns just alleviate when he doesn't have to deal with primary pressure because of how incredible like and like you know he hits deep pull up threes from NBA range deep sprinting off of movement um hopping into catches one twoing into like pull up threes with a high like quick release the shooting i think is going to be incredible like i have n- no real doubts about that um the fact that he hit like 34% from three this year like on all of the crazy like difficult shots he took is impressive to me and then i think his like play finishing tools off the ball are really nice as well as the finishing was good this year, the vertical pop again not amazing. Just like the horizontal explosion is good, not not really great or anything. But because of how strong he is, how amazing his touch is, just like Nick Smith, um, the the touch, not the strength, of course. But like he's so like his body control and balance are excellent, hanging at the rim and fending off defenders and seeking contact. And I think when he's able to, you know, attack and close out or run someone off the line or come off of a curl screen and get into that range, it's going to look a lot better for him. And I think the passing is a lot better off the ball. It's a really interesting like difference between where off the ball he makes these like advanced connector passing reads where he's like a quick quick processing extra pass or a pick and roll read or a great hit ahead in transition, but on the ball he has more tunnel vision and doesn't seem to be as good making the same kind of reads offensively I think there's just so much to like in terms of a guy who adds like real shooting passing and finishing aptitude which isn't super common for someone to do like all of those things at a high level um, especially at the age that Keontae's done it at um, and like the the difficulty of context and uh, all that he's had to kind of go through so at Baylor at least. Do you think that guys between you know like when you talk about maybe Gabe Vincent who is shorter but guys under six seven who can give you a a pick and roll who can work in all these extra little things and can shoot with movement do you think that the heat their success this season is going to make teams kind of like really lean towards that like oh wow it is really nice that Jimmy Butler can just be a screener on this play and can go to the opposite side of the floor and we'll just like Gabe Vincent will hit a pull-up three or we can run like a ton of DHO stuff because these guys really give a shit about running around the screen and like finding space. Do you think that yeah. like, the Jordan Hawkins, Keontae George... Like, this all is these- what's good about like such a large percentile of the highest level offensive initiators being enormous, either as wings or as straight-up centers. Because being able to pack your initiator slot into someone who's also like a larger defender just opens up so much room to have non-primary guards, especially ones who aren't elite defenders, which you kind of couldn't, like, again, it's always hard to do, especially if you have, like, a guard-sized creator. But, yeah, I think Keontae playing off of someone who is, like, large and can create advantages and get to the rim, that's a perfect kind of player who can take pressure off, 
be like a release valve as a spacer can run those secondary pick and rolls. Like I, I think like a lot of like Gabe Vincent does. That's a good pull. And it's one of my favorite guys for sure. Gabe Vincent is, is great. Um, someone who can yeah, like run a secondary pick and roll and be, be really effective scoring in like that mid range floater area as well. I think um, in terms of like shot creation and tough shot making, he's incredible. Um, again, as it is for a lot of these prospects, it's about like not needing to do that as much or finding easier shots or easier looks. But the tough shots Keontae is great at. And as it is expected for most players, especially ones in the kind of role that he had, that load is going to go down. Um, considering, Especially considering like the range that he potentially is going to get drafted at. Like there's a good chance he gets drafted to a team that has like Gideon Shea or Zion and Ingram or Pascal Siakam or LeBron or like someone like that, you know? So like, I think it's a good situation for him and for all these guys pretty much. I have a, I have a question. Do you, do you think that, do you think that OKC should like make the, the move now? Like, do you think they should try and get a star for this upcoming season? No, no, definitely not. You'd wait. Interesting. I would wait. I, I, I don't think they need to. Like, they don't have like they like most of their core. They have like under contract for quite a while. I don't. They're like they're not in a rush from that perspective. Um, I think like the reason you'd make that is like if you can consolidate into someone who just like is really perfect, then I think you always basically always do it regardless of like what team it is. But I think OKC is in kind of a position where they can keep waiting. Like, where there's someone who, like, you know, assuming all of their guys develop as you, you know, Shay and J-Dub and Giddy and them continue to, you know, develop as young players do. And Chet is good, like a team who probably makes the playoffs this year, um, regardless of any developments. And I think just that playoff experience for a young team is really important as well. I don't know. I don't think they have to. Um, if someone becomes available who is like really perfect, then of course I think you always, I think they, I think that that's what's so good about them. It's like, they have the tools to go for that whenever they, they, they need to, or whenever it comes, it comes up. Like they don't have to do it right now, especially because of their good contract situation and because of their pick situation. Um, I probably like, I wouldn't be rushing to, to make a move like that. I don't think, I just don't think you need to, but if again, like if I have no idea who would be perfect, but if like someone theoretically was like so the reason is that there's like a a smattering of now i'm gonna dead this conversation after i say this but there's a smattering of uh toronto fans that are wondering if like pascal is the i had a for yeah yeah so i I had a feeling you're gonna say that anyway um that would be someone who that would be pretty good for okay i can't lie And also another OKC thing. I That's one who I would potentially be like, okay, maybe you put in your chips for the, for Pascal. But J Dub plays perfect basketball. I've never seen someone play more perfect basketball than he does, given their tools. Just as an aside, um, Keontae George, as you mentioned, it's hard to get plus defense out of a smaller guard. What is your sense of Keontae George's impact on that end at Baylor and into the NBA? Yeah, his his impact on defense is currently inconsistent. It waxes and wanes as most freshmen do. I think he was definitely like below in terms of like awareness and consistency. I think the biggest issues for him are like when he has to cover big areas of ground and change directions. Like his hips are pretty wide, his feet aren't super quick. 
Um, and then when you combine that with general like issues with his awareness and general defensive feel and instincts and positioning, there are definitely concerns. But there have been worse defensive prospects or you know college level defense defensive players at that age who have become fine defenders in the NBA. And Keontae has these outstanding physical tools. He is so strong. And there are moments where he can like lock in at the point of attack and slide in, you know, one direction without complex, you know, flipping his hips and such versus quick guards and be really effective walling off. And he does have flashes of like jumping passing lanes and being able to use his kind of size to just muck stuff up um, as well. So, and I think he was also probably a better defender in in high school too, which was interesting in, in AAU. But than he was at, at Baylor, which is a notoriously like difficult defensive scheme as well to get right, uh, especially for for freshmen, which we just like don't really see very often going to Baylor at this point. But I think Keontae again is someone who I think you is is a totally reasonable bet to be fine on defense. Like I would probably expect him to be fine on defense. Like. His like median outcome is probably around like a neutral defender, which is kind of what you want, I think. Um, yeah. I think he has like the tools if he's in the right role. He isn't asked to play a big like off ball moving playmaking role, kind of more zoned in like guarding the point of attack. Um, simple like backside defense. I think he could be someone who's solid at the nail as well as he continues to develop because of like the strength, his ability to you know be so strong with the ball that there could be a solid defensive presence. And again, with these guys, obviously like not being six, eight, like jet hurts him, but much stronger. And when you have these dynamic offensive players, um, especially on a team like Toronto, assuming they keep everyone where you have your like big initiator who means that you don't have to play a guard size initiator and you can have worse defenders because you can play more bigger players and more bigger defenders. Um, You can get away with these bigger lineups. You can have room for someone like Keontae who isn't a primary creator by any means, but is really valuable in the role that he does kind of add on to what like the, the primaries would do. So just to hammer down on the shooting a little bit, the, how do you account for, or like, do you look for indicators or is this just kind of, you like what you're seeing as far as trying to, you say there's like a bunch of really great shooting in this draft. Keontae is also included in that, but some of the guys who are considered, at the top end of shooters in this draft have like much better numbers. How do you bridge that gap for him to be included? And like, what indicators do you look for? Yeah. So shooting projection is really difficult, obviously, especially with college freshmen, just because of how small the samples are. Um, like three point percentage is just not a good indicator because of how long it takes to stabilize. Like we see this in the NBA too, where players will have like, pretty large fluctuation season to season in their three-point percentage. Like this is the thing that happens in the pros. So it's hard to rely on that. Like obviously like the classic example recently, like extreme is like Neesmith who was like a 50% three-point shooter and then like couldn't shoot in the NBA really anymore. Um, I don't think like that's obviously an extreme example, but I mean, what? Like Keontae took 228 threes, which is a lot. Um, I think that's one of his big selling points is that he took 14 threes per hundred possession. 55% of his shots were threes. Um, most, you know, he was a super willing and confident shooter. And that's a great indicator as well. And I mentioned, I talked about shot versatility, which is also a really important indicator. Um, it's like, can you do more than like just catching shoots or just like pulling up and pick and roll? Because um, 
in the NBA, you're going to have to do a lot of different kinds of shooting if you're going to be a good, meaningful shooter, especially if you're not a big. And Keontae being someone who can shoot from NBA-level range off of movement, off of pull-ups, different kinds of pull-ups, in the mid-range as well, these same kind of shots, um, that's an impressive indicator. Touch is always a hard one because like there are guys with great touch who just never shoot, but it, it always is a good bonus aside. Um, I tried to ask Steve Clifford about that this season because I knew I wanted to get a good answer because I knew people still had thoughts about LaMelo and touch and playing in Australia. And so I asked Steve Clifford. And so I was like, how do you go about trying to project touch? Like, and he was just like, he was like, Australia is full of a bunch of big bastards, man. Like they're going (laughs) to pound the hell out of you, you know? And he was just like, and you know, he was, he was small then. And he was like, he, he shoots the hell out of it now. He works a yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like a classic example of someone who like the numbers were never good until they were, but kind of yeah. people always believed like that he would be a great shooter um, because of his great indicators as someone who took a lot of difficult threes, um, a lot of different kinds of threes, obviously the special touch. Um, I think, again, and then I think like people always talk about free throws, which in my kind of research and stuff, like are probably less powerful of an indicator than um, other ones. A lot of times, one, because they're like the small sample and two, because they're like tied to volume too, um, very much as well. Free throws are a lot more stable though in a small sample than threes, but it also seems that unless you're... Might it be that free throws are a really good indicator if they have high volume, but it's hard to like... you. There could be a guy right. who's ready a, to be a great shooter. Yeah, but I was going to say, it. like, free throws are a good, like, building on to a case where I think unless your free throw percentage is really outstanding in either a positive or negative way, then it's generally not much to, to take away. Like, if, if you have a guy who's, like, a good shooter but is, like, a horrible free throw shooter, which doesn't really ever happen, then I think, like, they're pretty – like, it's pretty rare that guys, like, sub, like, 60 or whatever from the line and end up shooting. And it's the same where like it's pretty rare where guys like below like like above like 88, 89, like don't end up being shooters. But if you're in that like middle range where is most Westbrook players end up maybe being the is Westbrook maybe the only player who was sitting like so consistently above eighty-six percent as a free throw shooter who wasn't also just like a knockout from three. And, and I know he, his free throw fell okay. off later in his career. Right, but. yeah, but he was always an amazing free throw shooter early in his yeah. career. Like, he was a good free throw shooter early in his career. But yeah, I mean... He's the only yeah, guy I can I said, think like, of. It is, it's, it's, it's like weird anomalies, I think, is what free throws are like quite good for. Um, being a predictive like indicator of like shooting, like... Again, we've talked about this before, but like Siakam was like a very middling free throw shooter in college. Um, there are a lot of like random shooters who were very middling free throw shooters. Like Joe Harris was a bad free throw shooter. Um, KCP was a bad free throw shooter. Like a bunch of random guys who were bad, like are middling free throw shooters. Um, so yeah, I think it's just like in the extremes, the free throws can matter a lot. Um, especially... Like if you're like not already a shooter or something, like again, like you're not, you're basically not going to find anyone like sub 60 or whatever free throw. It's going to end up being a shooter. Like it just doesn't happen. But yeah, um, that, I think that brings us to, except for maybe, except for maybe OG. I think OG was actually that low, but (laughs) OG is, 
he's, he's obviously a, weird, a unique, weird case, a, yeah. a very unique situation. But so we we're talking about how hard it is to project some things given lack of volume, and now we're about to talk about Derek Whitehead, who is like hardly any volume. Derek Whitehead, Duke, freshman. 6'6 is what I saw it listed as is his height. I saw a 6'10 wingspan listed. 8.3 points per game, 2.4 rebounds, one assist, 42% from the field, 43% from three, 79% from the line, and 55% true shooting. How do you start disentangling this low volume guy from Duke? What's the feel? I also side I have some wingspan numbers from sure. my wingspan plug. Um, Nick six nine, Keontae a little over six five and a half. Jet measured six eight, um, six eight in twenty nineteen, which is a long time ago. Like like I mentioned, um, a lot of these ones are gonna be like old from like USA camps or like Hoop Summit or stuff like this. But there you go. Cool. So Derek, Derek, yeah, Derek is awesome. I think like significantly more than Nick is like an injury questions guy. Um, Cause like Nick played like a lot. I think Nick played like a good amount more than Derek. At least it feels like he did um, in terms of role and like minutes too. Um, actually no, Derek played more games, but I think his like role and minutes was definitely a lot lower for sure. Um, but just a guy who like, I think it's good and bad when someone like a prospect's like concerns from pre-college tape or like very obviously due to injury um obviously bad because like you know zapping athleticism and being hurt is not good for basketball players but it is good in the sense that the things like there aren't other struggles that are compounding this where Zarek in college in high school aau legit primary initiator on the wing super explosive vertical athlete incredible shot maker pick and roll passer all of this stuff and then he just couldn't finish, couldn't he couldn't jump at all. Um, like very, very clear that he just was not comfortable getting off of the floor in college, which is a shame. And it's unfortunate because like this definitely seems to be like an important time for physical development. Again, like definitely a lot of weird parallels with AJ Griffin, who like they're very different players, but another like super freak athlete in in high school in AAU who is not really that anymore already but it's still going to be a good player because of other strengths. And I think Dariq is the exact same way, regardless of what happens with the athletic tools. And Dariq has had less of an injury history than someone like AJ anyway, um, outside of this season too, where he is an amazing shot maker. And we saw that this year at Duke, where again, took a ton of threes, was comfortable like taking pull-up threes off the dribble, some light movement stuff, which is really impressive for a strong 6'6 wing, of course. His passing, I thought, was really impressive as well. His passing was great in high school and AAU, and his passing was pretty good in college too, especially as the season went on and he got more comfortable. Really great attacking closeouts, finding pretty tough like laydowns and high-level interior passes too. Um, this is a really good foundation, just that for for offense as well, because um, that – it does seem like the like the interior scoring and that stuff is going to be a big missing piece for sure, which is the thing where like I have Dariq in like top ten range because he's that level of talent, and I don't have any like special insight on the medicals. Where it's a thing where if he falls, you know, presumably just because like a bunch of teams medical red flag him, then like 
whatever i guess like it sucks but i don't know what to say about that in terms of like criticizing it but like i mean even we see like a guy with like mpj um who was presumably medically red flagged by lots of teams before denver and it took him a while to like be consistently healthy and it's paid off in a huge way where i think Derek, it would you know the impact would look a lot different just because they're wildly different players but same kind of thing where i think the payoff is certainly worth it for a guy with like legit dribble pass shoot skills on the wing who also projects to be a certainly positive defender, which I was really encouraged by the fact that Zarek was good on defense in his freshman year, despite the issues with his, his physical and his lower body on the ball, just so solid, really quick laterally can flip his hips impressively for a guy of that size. Um, and then just has always been a good team defender, good playmaker, um, really good at like getting low and sliding. He's not, he doesn't foul very often, which is really impressive for, you know, someone his age who has the playmaking tendency and instinct to he's, he's someone who likes to defend at the nail as well. Um, aside from like the weak side rim protection that he brought in, in high school and AAU wasn't there at all. Um, probably largely because of injury stuff and maybe some scheme stuff too, but that was a big factor for him in the past. Um, being a, like an, an on and off ball defender. I think the, the on ball stuff at his size is more impressive where he's just so good laterally, so strong as well. And I think he's like the second or third youngest player in the draft too, which is an excellent sign given how good he was at Duke, um, especially late in the season where he was just incredible as a shot maker, as a passer, really good defense. So with with Dariq, I think it really just comes down to like the medical like i hate to like make it as simple as that but it kind of is to me like i think he's a very clear like obvious top 10 pick level talent otherwise um i think i feel like most people probably acknowledge that at this point anyways um but it is just hard to know especially with like an injury that like is obviously impacting the way someone plays too so healthy derek let's play that game what are your expectations for you know, the first couple of years of his career, role, impact, that kind of stuff. I think early, I think like assuming he is healthy, he's someone who gets on the floor early because he does things that teams need rookies to do. He defends, he shoots, he makes good decisions. Um, he's, he does all these things that he needs to do to stay on the floor. But I think because of his creation tool, because his handle is pretty solid as well, we didn't talk about that. Like he's, he's not an amazing handle or anything, but he can, you know, make quick, simple moves to get downhill and get into his mid-range and three-point pull-up jumpers. Someone who, in a year, to like a couple of years, could imagine him taking on like an actual creation load as someone who is like didn't get to showcase this much at all at Duke largely because of his like opportunity but can really like operate in the pick and roll as a passer and as a scorer that was a, like a notable strength of his at Montverde and in AAU and UIBL um, as someone who just like is a really great shot maker as again like this is not something new like the last at least two years before college his shot making was fantastic so this is not a new thing for him at all in terms of the shooting um, the passing, none of this is new. This is all what you expect from Dariq. I think just because of what he's good at already and the fact that I think he projects to be a good shooter, a good passer, a good defender early in his career, someone who can play without the ball. It doesn't need plays ran for him. It's just going to kind of exist within that system. And then as someone who's had this impressive growth curve as a creator and 
has definite upside is maybe not like an elite advantage creator, but like the pull-up shooting at size could be really high level, which as we talked about with Jet, just unlocks so much. And if we're playing the like the he's healthy game, then like someone who is potentially an explosive finisher at the rim, someone who can score in the mid-range, like scoring craft stuff, you know, will develop as he continues to be a primary, as it does with like most of these like athletic wing types. But there's just so much to like there in terms of like on and off ball defense offense like it's it's all there really um and it's a shame that he's had to deal with the injuries that he has because he's just such a good player regardless order of preference for the raptors across these four players man that's tough um i think they're all like pretty close i mean i think my like you know, like Garik won for sure, but that's the, with the asterisk, of course, just because, like, you know, maybe they just don't want to take a guy with his medicals, or maybe they find something that they're like more concerned about than we would know. But Garik, Garik would be my first one, I think for sure. Um, man, it's tough. I think all of all of the other three, to me, are very close and kind of just depending on what you want. So I, I think at this point, if, if I have to pick an order, I think I'd have Keontae as my main preference just because of like how dynamic and offensive player he is in in ways that I think Jet and Nick might struggle and because I don't think the defensive concerns are going to matter as much for a team like Toronto. Um, and then I think I'll go Nick and then Jet, but all like they're all like right there, I think. Yeah. Whether they want someone... Like Nick with more defensive upside, maybe more passing and like off ball moving stuff with the touch and intermediate scoring. If they want Jet, they want someone more of a shooter with the size, with the kind of secondary upside as well. So I think it kind of just like depends on what they're looking for. But Dariq, and if not Dariq, then Keontae would probably be my main preference there in terms of in terms of these guys. And it's like they're gonna be able to get all these guys probably and like there are also like other really good players. Like I know you mentioned, like Anthony Black is just like tough for them to acquire another like non-scorer. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in my opinion, like that's always difficult. Um, when Trey and I talked yeah. about Anthony and Case, and we did an episode talking about those guys. Yeah, your your videos are referenced in the episode for what it's worth. But we both settled on Case and being a little bit better of a fit because I do. Because when on the Trey episodes, this one, I didn't get to watch a bunch of film on these guys. But on the Trey episodes, I sit down and I watch a lot of film. So does Trey. I thought that Kaysen's jumper, I believe it as a catch and Me shoot too. guy. And Anthony, I'm like, I, I just, I'm not super sure. Although yeah. like the passing video you made with um, Anthony was awesome. He's really yeah, he's clever, a man. really sick passer. Like, yeah. I, I think like. So often it's not like it's not as simple as like this guy just needs to be catch and shoot and he'll be fine. But Anthony Black, I think it really is like he just needs to shoot or like be like yeah. okay as a scorer because he's so good elsewhere. Where I, I mean, like I just definitely prefer Kaysen as a prospect, but like that's mostly because of how much I like Kaysen, not because of like yeah. disliking Anthony Black. I think Anthony Black is sick, but yeah, I agree with you. I believe in Kaysen's jumper for sure. Yeah, um, that feels like a podcast. Lots of great insights, Ben. Thank you. Is there anything you want to say about any of these guys before we uh, say goodbye to everybody? Mm, I think I'm good. I think, as I've mentioned on before in many times, like this is a great draft, and I think most of their options are going to be good. 
I don't think there are many ways the Raptors could go that would really be a bad pick or like something that would just be really off value or weird. Um, I think they're in a good spot. This is like a good draft to be picking in the late lottery. So Nice. That's hey, I love hearing that because I want to cover cool and good players. So my fingers I'm are crossed. Hoping that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, me too. That was that was kind of a like last year. Yeah. I maybe Grady co- will fall. Who knows? I man, I you you really like Josh as well, Codanera, and he said he thought that um, Grady might be like a top five player in this draft down the line. So. I I, I took that. that I took that to heart. I was like, "That's me." He's not gonna. I really don't think he's gonna fall to. I like strong. I really don't think he's gonna fall to like ten or anything. But yeah, he's just like too he, too good of a shooter. He's too good. Like, he's yeah. He's he's certainly good. Um, but yeah, that's a uh, that's about it for us. I think. Uh, Ben, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Um, not much. Yeah, just follow me on Twitter. BJPF underscore um, anything I do will be on there. I, if I do any videos or like voice notes or threads, you can find them all there. Um, may or may not have some light written stuff coming in the next wow. soon, which I have only pub, which I've only mentioned on um, one other podcast. Um, but yeah, um, follow me on Twitter. Just thanks for having me on. This is always a joy. Always enjoy, always enjoy potting with you, my my good friend Samson, who is who is also the the main cause of the Canadian wildfires, apparently, which I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm to blame, obviously, for the listener, whether it's on YouTube or whether on the podcast. <laughs> all of Ben's stuff will be linked: YouTube channel, Twitter, etc. Ben. Thank you so much for giving me your time for the third year in a row and the, I don't know, eighth or ninth time we've come together to talk about basketball. So thank you once again. Of course. And hopefully to many talks on and off air in the future, for sure. So Fingers crossed. Um, listener, viewer, thanks for tuning in, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. <laughs>